it was always part of the plan to put a brewery in, but for many years it, it was just a plan. It's 100% acquisition of Green Beacon. No, we had a chat with everybody. Anyone would have seen this coming a mile away. It's the passion and the, the dedication to beer and brewing. Oh, yeah. That's super simple and direct question. It's always fun to get to speak about beer. Hi, I'm Brews News Editor Matt Kirkegaard, and that's just what we're here to do, talk about beer and the brewing industry, and have a conversation with the people who make the industry what it is, and see what we can learn from them. And this week, we have a conversation that was so wide-ranging and interesting that we didn't even end up touching on the topic that we planned to at the beginning. The guest today is the brand manager for Moondog, which I should probably note up front, as in the whole hour-long conversation, we don't touch upon his current paid job or his employer. So I should probably credit Moondog. But my guest, Miro Bellini, is arguably Australia's most passionate, thoughtful and pragmatic advocate for craft beer. This conversation ends up having no real topic, just beer. But with Miro, that topic is always engaging. So I hope you'll enjoy this conversation with Miro Bellini as much as I did. Miro Bellini, welcome to Beer as a Conversation. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Matt. It's an honor. Oh, mate, the, the honor is mine and it's a long overdue one um, because I was just realized that we had, I, I, I'm going to disappear down rabbit hole to start with. We've had some great conversations off mic, um, you know, through either in person or uh, you know through Facebook over the years. And uh, I, I most recently you told me that you were just about to celebrate your 19th birthday in beer years. Um, and uh, I don't know about you, but for me, beer has just gone past at warp speed because I've always thought, oh, well, we've spoken to Miro. We don't want to get him on too soon. But as I look at it, it was the 18th of November 2012 that we published the one and only time that you've been on. So it's over 11 years. Uh, so very long overdue and welcome back. Uh, yeah, geez, that's gone uh, weirdly quick and a lot has happened. Um, yeah, no, it's good to be back. And I think that there's a lot of for us to talk about, um, not just in the industry, like, yeah, from, uh, yeah, just turned 19 in beer years, this February gone by. And when I started in 2004, there was, I think, three parallels available to buy on a shelf. Now, what do you class your birthday as? Because, again, I'm just sort of looking at your LinkedIn profile and you were a marketing assistant at Young & Jackson's in February 2004. That's it. So so, so that was the birth of, uh, of Miro as a beer personality, I think I, I can fairly describe you as. They gave me um, a blue sash that uh, perhaps someone on a hens or bucks would wear, and it said "Beer Ambassador." And the it would be a forty-five minute presentation. If you walked into Young and Jackson's at three thirty on a weekend, you would have me. Well, let's say quarter past three. I would be knocking on the side of your table, going, "Hey, would you like to join us for a free beer tasting?" I would tell you a bit about the history of the building, uh, um, about Chloe, the painting in Young and Jackson's, the very famous and, painting. Yeah, uh, really important uh, painting, culturally important painting. And then I would take you through five tasters, which were Matilda Bay and Cascade beers. Um, Cascade had the weather vane tap around Melbourne with their Four Seasons range, the Vivaldi yes. Four Seasons range, the winter warmer, um, spring. Cascade first harvest was one. Yep. 
And um, so I would, and then you'd have uh, the Dog Bolter from Matilda Bay, um, the Chloe's Naked Ale, which was, I think, unfiltered uh, Redback, which some people might ask, uh, so might say is the first of, you know, moment of craft beer, the Redback. And they and anyway, I would, I would talk people through art, history, the beers, the flavours of them, and um, the history of that building in 45 minutes for free. Who owned Young and Jackson in those days? Because these days it's uh, in it's. Um, a, I believe it's ALH. ALH uh, Group, but was it always? Was it back in those days? Yeah. Okay. So that, that's interesting because uh, for for some reason I thought that it was uh, another owner um, because it was certainly one of the early pubs to really st- start to support craft beer in that education way, which craft beer really needed when everyone was drinking mainstream lagers, which 2004 is still very early days for that. Yeah, there was something like 17 taps with 15 different beers available at that time, which was remarkable. Uh, And they would try and do culturally significant things. So there was a big, I think we had uh, Melbourne uh, was hosting the Rugby World Cup at the time. And so what was a remarkable push was this, uh, against its contract, this venue said, well, we have to do put Heineken on because Heineken's the World Cup beer and, you know, that's culturally significant. And that was, I remember them having to fight for that and, um, you know, and Anzac Day is pretty culturally significant at that pub. And one thing I learned was as soon as someone learns about why they prefer one beer over another, why, like if they can articulate the flavours of something they like, all of a sudden, at $2 more a pint becomes a bargain, no longer a barrier. It becomes yeah. a real, real value. Like, it's only two more dollars, and I love this thing 10 times as much. And so that was where the power of education sort of got me on my path. Now, you trace your beer birthday 19 years ago to that job, but... You don't just lobby in and become a beer educator without having a bit of knowledge and understanding yourself. So was your interest in beer, did your interest in beer predate that job or did you learn on the learn on the job? So I just finished a degree in advertising or was just finishing that year. And one of the bits of advice I'd been given was product sampling is a way to understand how the public talk about something. And if, and I was a, you know, I started off thinking I was going to be an art director or, and then realized copywriting was my way to go because um, no one had grammar or no one could spell and a whole bunch of things <laughs> I was able to do. It. And I could find plenty of graphic designers to work with me and I started working on the language side of it. And I'm like, oh, you know, I, I, Matt, I could have got into stone. I could have got into soap or books. I reckon if it was anything that was ancient, um, that was still true to its same thing even thousand years later, then maybe I would have been... I, you know, this would be, you know, a cheese podcast I'd be on right now. <laughs> and um, my last, one of my last sort of presentations was you had to show up with something you'd pulled together that you could, it was a product, but it also had to be a presentation and it had to do all these other things. So I, sh- I showed up with a mixed six pack where I designed the mixed six pack and every one of the beers um, taught different graphic design principles um, and a whole bunch of different standards we'd learnt about products. 
And so my final presentation was a mixed six pack that had a Schofferhofer in there. It had a Blue Tongue. It had a whole bunch of different beers that were like we had a Carlton Draft. And so I was already really interested in beer and looking for different things to try. And that was really fun for me. And then, yeah, I came into this job. I was like, oh, well, there's five of them to talk about. And then I went from there to the Belgian Beer Cafe as a bar super, well, not even like, you know, a junior bar supervisor. And then there was a lot more to talk about and learn about. And I really liked being the guy that could answer questions about beer. And in those days, I get like my my history in the industry is probably a little bit the same as yours. I've been writing about it for almost, uh, God, I think Beer and Brewer must have started just about after that, 2004. And I've been writing about beer for a few years before then. Um, but in those days, it was good. Social media didn't exist yet. Um, so you you weren't loudly wrong when you were wrong. Um, <laughs> you know, there wasn't a record of your of your wrongness. I've got a very uh, undeletable record of my wrongness. I went on the uh, Einstein Factor on ABC in about 2006 with beer as my specialty topic, and I got trounced <laughs> on the Australian, you know, the ABC. So coast to coast, I was very loudly wrong about beer. Yeah. But anyway, sorry. Oh, um, oh no. Well, uh, thank God that that was because, again, it was one of those things. I think um, Phil Cook, uh, a New Zealand beer writer, who lives in Melbourne, I think, uh, talks about beer being fractally interesting, but also your knowledge, you know, uh, is grows and deepens um, every time you, you delve down into it. But um, at, at the same time, you know, 20 years ago, you just had to know that little bit more than the person you're serving to be an expert. And, you know, because they they didn't know if you're making it up basically and, and you could make it up not that we did obviously but uh it it, it it it's a subject that really rewards uh deep study um definitely. and you never stop learning definitely well and in comparison at the time when i moved into sort of more um hospitality sort of management and i'd go to wine showcases i would i was that earnest um you know poindexter with a notepad and a pen and i would ask someone at a stall and go oh so what what flavor what makes this wine special or what process have you done and i'm like okay cool but how did that turn into these flavors because i've got to tell the bartender and i've got to write notes in the menu and they'll be like oh well because you know the farmer gets up at 2 a.m and the tractor's been in their family for generations i'm like yeah 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 why do you get up at 2 a.m and what temperature means what this like i i would be so frustrated pushing people to be like but why does it taste like this and it's funny um again that, that's almost been my mission is without taking away from the romance that is incredibly important to justifying the price of anything and our emotional attachment to something and the thing that gets us interested in something you know, and, and all of the you know and i'd sort of talk about it so much beer writing um is telling you the brewer's cat's middle name kind of thing which is you know sure it, it's nice and it builds an attachment and it humanizes in a lot of ways but it's also a tale it's not the thing you know and, and i i don't think i've ever seen it more egregiously might be the word than when I went to a Riedel tasting and uh, you know that is all 
story. Um, they're, they're beautiful glasses and a beautiful glass changes your experience and the way you feel about something changes your experience and all of those things layer onto it. But at the same time, you couldn't get a straight answer and there was just so much indefensible bullshit at the same time um, that, 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 that I found. One thing we sort of made a rule and I recommend it, uh, like it's true that every bar can have its own sequence of service with beer and its own standards. And I recommend everyone has a moment to think about how their own bar does it rather than take a template. Um, but this is one that worked well for me was it's most important to find out what beer will make that you've got will make that customer happy. And you probably want to find out about what expectations they have, what flavors in a really simple non-jargon way when they come to the bar, you're helping them find a beer that they're going to fall in love with. But then during pouring it, that's when I like to give the story that is the trivia. Yes. So you've got about 30 seconds in the service time of action and maybe 15 seconds to go, by the way, um, this person was, you know, got into trouble for stealing hops for this or that person uh, uh, took inspiration from a trip to here or these, you know, uh, this is sustainable because of X. Like giving someone the bit of trivia that they can take back to the table happens once they've decided on the beer for me and I won't I don't want to sell them as a you know bartender sell them on trivia and then give them a, you know a, a dunkel vice for a bunch of people that probably wanted a pale ale and some chips before the footy <laughs> Mate, I think that is some of the most uh, cogent concise advice I've heard uh, in that I know and it is brilliant because again I, I think um you know, one of the most common experiences that I've seen, and, and I'm guilty of this as well, you you fall in love with craft beer for whatever reason. You become passionate about it. You want everyone else to share your passion. You can't understand why people drink these fizzy yellow piss lagers um, and you want to change the world. Um, and in doing so, you've become exactly the cravat-wearing wine wanker that wanted to preach at everybody that beer people hated. Um, mm. And so again, you know, finding out what the person wants to drink um, and then finding something that matches that need um, is, is genius. How, how long did it take you to learn that? Did, did you go through that process as well where you tried to force it down people's throats before you let them decide? Oh, I don't think so. I think I've been evangelical in business to business conversations from one bar to another bar or or you know to people other people in the hospitality or you know in our sector i don't think um i've ever really had the urge to tell someone that i mean i cut my teeth drinking carton draft you know like forex gold well forex in fact even before forex gold existed forex And I, I, I still, if I, I get excited when I see a Melbourne bitter tap and there's something like a metronome about those beers in my life that I can come back to and, you know, it measures the pace in my palate on a, a whole bunch of things that I really rely on. I mean, yeah, Forex, the same sort of same sort of feeling for me when I drink Melbourne bitter. And I, I like, um, like my mum, oh, geez, can't even believe I got to this. I got something drilled into me by my mum is to... If you criticize someone's food while they're eating it, it's 
the height of rudeness. You've, you've really just taken away anything that they could be enjoying. And, and that like, you ever heard that phrase, you know, about like, um, you know, food without hospitality is just medicine. No, I haven't, I haven't heard that. I, I'm going to use it though. So <laughs> now, you know, if, if you're, you imagine, you, you know, you don't know what anyone else is going through. Like you've got a rough idea of what other people are going through in your life, but end of the day, you can't, you can't tell all of someone's story is just sitting across from you. And, and if you take a moment where you're like going to say something about negative about what they're eating in their own time, um, then you've taken all that joy out of it. You've made it um, a moment where they have to look at themselves or feel lesser about themselves when they're taking a moment to enjoy something. Then that's a really unpleasant thing to do to someone. I know it's I know it's only a little part of their life, but that's something my mum told me as a child. That you don't criticise someone someone's food while they're eating it, and it doesn't really matter if you don't like that food. And so for me, the idea of saying why are you drinking this or whatever, like that is just not even an idea that pops up in my head. That's actually very profound because, you know, it, it was a long time learning that lesson for me only because, again, going through that phase where I wanted to, you know, evangelize. And, you know, there, there are certain religious parallels. You know, you you wanted to, you know, run through the infidels, um, you know, and anyone that you couldn't convert, uh, you know, you, you, you wanted to slash, um, you know, and, and, you know, because it was convert or die. Um but that's but that's where like to 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 insult what somebody was drinking and I, I it took me a long time to learn that I can give you fifty reasons why a beer like Corona isn't the highest art of the brewer you know the, the highest you know showing of the brewer's art but it's 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 incredibly well made but you know if you give me the one reason that you enjoy it. That's good enough to make it a great beer, and I don't want—I—I I, I don't want to change your perception about it because, as we've gone on, I just want people drinking beer um, and finding pleasure in it in all of its forms. That's it. Like helping people find the joy in life is—it's a beautiful thing to do, right? And and if we can do that, we like—I suppose maybe I. I'm energetic about dismantling misconceptions in beer. Um, and this, this evangelical term you're using and the slash and the infidels, I've never really <laughs> seen it like that. Um, but but inviting people, um, I think another one I learned at, at, at Beer Deluxe um, those years there is I'm here to win people, not beat them. And so, you know, finding... You know, working in Fed Square for however many years that was, the tennis could be on, the comedy festival could be on, people are finishing work or coming from out of town. And, you know, there's so many different reasons why someone could be walking into that bar while I was working there as the beer sommelier that, in our, we have to, first of all, remember, we've got what they're looking for. If you want this kind of food or that kind of beer, we've got it. So actually asking a few questions and being personable will help me narrow that down. And I suppose that's where I came up with that idea of like, let's find what they want. And then you can make it, you know, put some tinsel around that afterwards with, you know, fun trivia. Yeah. Uh, that, that's it. It, it. It's interesting because one of the reasons I've long wanted to get you on the podcast is my description of you 
is one of Australia's great beer pragmatists, very passionate about beer, but you've never, you know, Facebook is a hellscape of people who want to argue best and you know just even to hear you enunciate it in terms of you've wanted to strip away the misconceptions about beer um and that's uh, uh, that's the way i've always seen you you know it, it's never this beer is good this beer is shit it's always been engaging in the underlying um you know premise of of, mm. of that discussion and celebrating beer but then talking about it from a position of knowledge yeah, well, thank you. That's a really kind way to describe me. I'm not quite sure how to handle that compliment, um, but <laughs> thank you. <laughs> but again, and it, I, I think it served you well, or, I, or well, I, I should ask, has it served you well? Because, you know, you, you have worked at some, um, you know, the Belgian Beer Cafe, Young & Jackson's. Uh, you've worked at Beer Deluxe, um, some of the great beer bars um but as you said they're beer bars that aren't the pointy end only catering to the latest edgiest beer that draws in beer gigs it's craft beer in a much broader social context at all of those venues yeah i i suppose um i never sort of feel like i know it's going to might sound ridiculous or might get a guffaw from certain people listening, but I never really feel like I'm part of the clique um, or my work is with the clique. Uh, the early adopters of our industry have done incredible work making the landscape so diverse with like the, like the, the amount of beers that exist out there, uh, like uh, thanks to the love of so many people that love and are early adopters of beer, right? Like that have tasted as much as they can and get out and try things like uh, that. But I've never sort of felt like that's where I fit or who who is only, like the only people I'm talking to um, or working with or, you know, like that, that bringing, yeah. So I don't know. It's, um, yeah, Th- those venues. Well, but then, you know, even shifting over to um, to moving into sales, and marketing beer, it's it's. I've still got to maintain that perspective of like you know, there's a lot of people out there that have haven't had two dark beers in one day or heard of two dark beers in one day that is, isn't Guinness. Like there's a lot of people that haven't had a beer in the last month in Australia, let alone I you know I wonder if to a lot of people that maybe 700 breweries we all have different brands, but maybe to most Australians the brand is craft beer for 700 breweries. And, and so, like, you know, assuming that they know what I'm talking about when if I put up a sign that says Mosaic or, you know, any other hop name is going to be um, probably, you know, a fool's errand for me to think I'm going to, like, grow the scene by talking jargon or just speaking with the, with the early adopters the whole time. Looking at it, you, you've worked in the hospitality space, but then you've also more recently gone into the sales space. Um, sales, you know, although I, I guess it's been as an ambassador more than a salesman. You're not the walk into a bottle shop and try and move units sort of role. Is that fair enough? I, I spent three years as in straight up selling. Yep. Um, and that was for an importer. Palais? Yep, um, Palais Imports. And they had the uh, Canadian 
I'm trying to think of what that. Uh, so they had um, Judas CL, um, uh, uh, Unibrew. Unibrew Unib- and Le Trois Musketeers. So that's yeah. how they started. And I think that's why it was the uh, French, you know, French Canadian kind of name, Palais Imports. Um, they also had a couple of lovely uh, Japanese breweries, uh, including yes. Hitachino Nest. Hitachino um, Nest, yes. So now, now you're taking me back. Yeah, it's a different ring of the tree when we talk about those brands. Um, and um, then um, we, you know, uh, had uh, North Coast Brewing and Brooklyn Brewery, who were two, I was studying my BJCP and um, anyone who's studying that era of BJCP would know North Coast and Brooklyn Brewery had a lot of the classic examples for beer styles. And um, we launched Pirate Life. That's right. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So I'd, again, these these things that you forget in, in, in the onrush of time. So today, it was like a Facebook memory today. It was like eight years ago, we were down there running um, the Pirate Life throwback down that little six head filler in Adelaide and um, me and my colleague um, uh, Adam Holiday and we're over there with Ryan Davidson from Little Bang Brewery and um, and uh, another colleague Mikey was over from all in you know look, learning about this pirate life that we're about to launch and um, it was pretty remarkable watching that do what that did. I, I don't think anyone's come in and hit the ground or made an impact quite like the pirate life impact and watching that was it like a 14 page photo uh, um, powerpoint presentation on what this brand was going to be by three people who um had a you know vision and that was really interesting watching what they did and being a part of that and again there was so much genius in that because i agree like it, it was a massive but it was also uh, you know, from an outsider's point of view, a huge learning experience in growth without capital, um, you know, is one of the, the, the worst things that you can have. Mm. Um, watching Pirate Life and how quickly they grew, but the amount of capital they needed to su- su- support that growth. Mm. I, I just think that when, like, the size of the brew house that they opened with was unusual at that time. Around the same time, Hawker's... Uh, opened um and then also the portfolio that pirate life opened with the throwback ipa the parallel and then add if i i'd love to make a list of my top 10 most incorrect worst predictions um the top of the list would be oh yeah wheat beer's coming back no i've been wrong i'm guilty times, of that one as well 20 years yep. on that um, but when they came out with that double IPA in the big can, and I'd argue that if we're talking about innovation in beer over the last 19 years, there are, I mean, you go into first choice, you've got something like 20 IPAs in big cans, big IPAs in big cans. Mm. I'd argue that Pirate Life double IPA in that big can or Imperial IPA in that big can is the first of that. Yep. And, and it's a where, staple Where would of, Modus fit in? Modus... Maybe Modus, but you know you got those two. Not 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 quite saying you're wrong again, just general yeah. genuinely because I, I I would agree with you. And and they, I think so much of their volume was in cans, which was very unusual for a brewery that was growing as quickly as that. Um, yeah. Versus draft. And I said, I'm like, why would you put there was it eight point eight percent or something? Why would you put the big beer in the big like why? So why have we got an imperial in that can? Like, 
you know, you got to remember in 2012, I couldn't sell cans into bars and restaurants, right? In 2013 or 14, we saw something like 300% growth in craft beer and cans. In, in 2012, you could get James Squire and Dr. Tim's in cans. And even Coopers didn't want to talk about Dr. Tim's in those days. Yeah. So like, I think Carwin was bringing it over somehow to Victoria. Um, yeah. And that's where you'd go before like a music festival to go to get Dr. Tim's from Carwin. And, and like, I, like, I would go into nice bars and try and sell beer and cans. I was doing, I was, at the time, I was running brewery tours for Mountain Goat and um, Cam. And, well, uh, there's a project that I was put onto where it's like, trying to sell in craft beer cans to music festivals because we had to underwrite the leaders to buy the cans. And I was had a like a I was calling all these music festivals, what if we could give you an independent, organic, you know, pale in colour, basically the Mountain Goat Steam Ale. And I was calling around going, hey, would you and every festival said no. And then along came uh, um, the 2012 Meredith Music Festival. And I sold half of Australia's shipment of uh, Brooklyn Lager cans that was supposed to last a couple of months in like two weeks to like maybe six bottle shops in Melbourne where they couldn't get colourful or flavoursome beer in cans outside of like three other things. And that was that was a big deal when Pirate Life comes along and says in 2015 we're going to be all cans and here's a big can that's an 8 point something percent Imperial IPA. That was... That was a, um, you know, that's impact. Mm. You're bringing back such evocative memories um, of, of that for me. But again, I look at fast forward to 2023 and Pirate Life's growth hasn't come, you know, that trajectory hasn't continued. And, uh, you know, looking around at wherever I've been in Australia and sort of seen the Pirate Life beers that you find now it's a lager some variation of a lager um or a sunshine wheat beer so that they've tried to reinvigorate the 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 wheat beer as well um and the main the the the, the growth of craft beer in the mainstream seems to have been as brewers have started to embrace the more traditional mainstream lager or lighter flavored beers not those double ipa cans yeah, well, I'd say there's still plenty of those cans out there. I think, I think it's a, a funny read. I mean, if you can figure out what happened the last six months. I'd love to know because I think there's a, you know a lot of different breweries with a lot of different perspectives in a really I don't know. This financial year is a real funny one for craft beer. Uh, uh, yeah, it, it's there. There are a lot of big IPAs out there. Yeah. Yeah. I, anyway, I, I suppose the reason why I bring them up is because that was a moment where you're like, that's not possible. And then someone did it. And and I think that our industry as a whole is like, that's almost like our signature. Us, this Motley Crew, 700 breweries is like people saying you can't do that or that won't work. And we've all, you know, burnt our knuckles or, you know, like made mistakes or whatever, trying to like, do the things people said you couldn't do, but there's so many wonderful stories of people coming out and like pulling that off and going like, I did this thing that everyone said was impossible. And yeah, I don't know. I'm still in love with it. That the whole story of craft beer. Yeah. I, I, I love it as well. I, I guess my, you know, fascination, and again, it's just not to say you're wrong. So I absolutely agree with your point, 
but sustainability you know, the sustainability of that success is always the challenge you know I, I think craft beer has been very good at starting things but there are very very few examples of businesses that have continued to grow on the thing that they and stone and wood pacific ale is one great example that you know when in 2008 um they launched at the, at the height of the ibu wars when everyone was you know, going, oh, well, if an American pale ale is good, imagine what a highly hopped American pale ale or imagine what an IPA would be like in a 60, 70, 80, 90, 1,000 IBUs. Um, and suddenly Stone and Wood comes out with, hold on, people want balance, people want sessionability. We're going to create a 4.4% English summer ale with this new galaxy hop that is passion fruit. And that just exploded and I would argue has change not just the craft industry but has had a big impact on the mainstream industry by showing that you you didn't have to participate in the extreme flavors um, and they've benefited from that um, you know and then they've continued to benefit so it wasn't just a, a hype driven um, mm. first stage rocket launch it was a genuine innovative business that's had legs yeah and i think that that's in the proposition for the beer drinker i mean uh, the stuff i'm having recently is just still incredible of mm. that pacific ale and i think that they yeah they've the, bravo like it yeah that's the innovation that i don't know and also their positive effect on the farmers yeah Oh, 100%. I, I guess, you know, one of the things that fascinates me is in an industry where we say this thing X is so successful and forgetting that, you know, like Pirate Life really demonstrated that after, you know, a couple of years of planning, um, they saw a niche in the industry that they felt that they could exploit um, and did it and did it very, very successfully. But then three or four years after that insight and the successful in, uh, execution, when you suddenly start getting people going, hey, I want to do that too. And, you know, it's very hard to sustain that original idea when everyone else comes in. And you know, again, coming back to Pacific Ale, they were the first to do that. Um, 150 Lashes was probably the big one to jump on that but then you know we had a court case and everyone's making a pacific ale in some way and yet pacific ale, stone you know pacific ale and stone and wood are almost synonymous um still um which just showed the longevity of that idea um even in the face of other people coming through with and, and doing the same thing mm -hmm. but i think it's not just the beer and the brand right like the integration of that business. The, you spoke to anyone in the last decade that was working there as it was coming up, that was uh, felt felt ownership of the business. You'd you'd get that in conversation from anyone working there, and and the way they that the whole story around that beer it isn't just the beer was a good idea and done well and and grown like growing your, your business to be able to maintain your quality and your output to demand that's a, a massive trick that it, not everyone knows how to do and and you know like there, there's so many parts of that innovation that isn't just a connecting with an innovative hop you know thank you tim lord 
and and growing with the, the hop farmer in the right way and, and connecting with pallets, like almost every aspect you looked at that business along the way, it was just like, wow, they were the powerhouse and still still is a powerhouse brand. Uh, and, and, and to risk mixing my metaphors, like that's the capturing lightning in a bottle, um, you know, having the right idea that, you just can't replicate a great idea and an execution and all of the things you need timing, you need luck, you need, you know, buy-in from others. Um, you, you need it, you know, and that's where timing comes in. They had the right beer at the right time because of the right insights, but then, you know, uh, they, they kept all of those plates spinning and that's where the mixed metaphor comes in, um, you know, in, in very, very challenging times. If I could add in another confusing uh, visual meta, uh, imagery there, <laughs> I'm the Please great um, Dave Benighton of Mountain Goat, um, who I like to quote in these sorts of conversations, once said to me, you can't, the same man can't walk into the same river twice. Yep. And yeah, because it's always washing past. Yeah. Yeah. It's so a- did you start your brewery today or are you going to start your brewery next week? You're a different person. That's a different river. And it's... Uh, it's remarkable when someone, yeah, you know, can when a business can do that. And uh, you know, I I'm in constant pursuit in my own career of, like, my north star is that a brewery refreshes the community. And and that's and that sort of let's say that might hopefully maybe that that's what underpins what you call pragmatism, is that I've got to keep the lights on at a bar, and if people, you know, by having engaged customers enjoying something and being refreshed at that bar with whatever beer we're working on to release um you know that that the brewery's role is to refresh the community i've got plenty of beers that haven't been so refreshing that that worked on that are about unix expression of ingredient or process or what have you but at the end of the day if we're not refreshing the community then why does your brewery exist or like how does your brewery continue to exist one of the and, and God, I was going to say is you know thirty seven and a half minutes in, we're coming around to the the thing that actually sparked uh, this in the first place. But this is why I've been meaning to have you on for such a long time. There's never going to be a shortage of things for us to discuss. Um, over the weekend, uh, Wade Curtis posted an interesting po- post from Melissa Cole, quoting Dogfish Head Sam Calagione. Um, saying, don't think how big you can be to be successful. Think how small you can be and and be success, successful and sustain that, which is a great quote. You know, for, for a long time, every brewery saw growth as being the... Um, the, the North Star uh, for, for, for their business. And everyone wanted to grow. Everyone, you know, openly or privately wanted to get big enough that they could be bought out. Um, and now we're seeing, as the industry's changed, sustainability, sustainable size being the thing. We had Nick Boots talk about that recently on the podcast, and now Sam uh, Calagione is saying it. And my again, I, I wasn't having a dig at Sam, but I just sort of, weighed in because everyone's going awesome yeah spot on great which again because the the sentiment was was very real but talking about that stepping into the same river twice i said i agree with his sentiments but i wonder whether he came to that conclusion before or after he took the private equity funding to invest in his own growth that forced um his eventual sale to Boston Beer. You know, they they sold, I think, 15% of the company for, you know, tens of millions of dollars to invest in all the things they needed to do to grow. And 
certainly the things that I've read is that when you take private equity investment, they have an investment horizon before they want their return. And if you don't give them that, the sale of the business, which they can force does. And, uh, you know, again, it's very interesting to hear Sam talking about come to a sustainable size when I would argue that he didn't follow his own advice. So was that his advice subsequently from having made a mistake? I think the power of us 700 independent breweries is that we're not all on the same page and that we're not, we all are able to have our own business models. Hmm. And I find it really funny when people tell other people how to run their business um, or say, this is how craft beer should be. Uh, it's always kind of jarring when I hear that. And um, personally, I won't, I don't want to give someone advice if they haven't asked me for it if I'm not qualified in it and I can't take accountability for it. It's my three rules. And I, I think I learned that when I hurt my back once and everyone who gave me advice from it was not asked, wasn't qualified and wouldn't take accountability for it. And so like when someone says something about this is how you should run your business in this industry uh, and our industry is known for having so many wonderful different expressions not only of beers, but of the way we run ourselves, as, like you know, as 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 you know, expressions of places, of ingredients, of ownership, of all these different things in in our sector. For someone to say, "Oh, here's a blanket thing to follow," I always have to double take or read a little bit more detail. So, I mean, Sam Camioni is like the one of the greats, right? Like his book, uh, uh, "She Said Wine, He Said Beer," was pretty influential on me twelve years ago. Um, there we go. Yeah, a learned man. So I don't, look, you know, I, I think that uh, if any any brewery owner, it would be valuable to get some time with Sam and ask him ideas about how to make your brewery better. I reckon I'd love to sit down with Sam and ask about how how I mean what Apri Hop, uh, Apri Hop that came out in April, you know, more than a decade ago, the first. Uh, IPA and craft beer that had fruit added to it, as far as I'm aware. Now, I, I bought out, the only reason why I know about that is because we launched a beer a couple of weeks ago with five, a five fruit IPA, like a fruit salad IPA. And I'm looking up, where, where who's the first person to do that? And it's Sam, uh, way back when, adding more fruit to an IPA. Like, I'm, I'd love to get some time and some direct advice from Sam at some point. But yeah, well, and and but I, I guess that's always the thing for me. It's not Sam is a revered hero of of the industry, and the the point that I made was, you know, I'd be very interested to see what Dogfish Head established twenty nineteen or mm. twenty twenty three look like mm. compared to nineteen ninety five. Because mm. if you look at the model, so many breweries have, you know, I won't say copied, but emulated their approach you know because they were the ones who did the chicha beer where they all sat around chewing corn to spit in a bucket they you know did the 90 minute ipa where he turned a Mm -hmm. football table into a constant hopper so rather than just do uh, continuous hopping through all of which were great um novelties at the time they were new but they were also attention grabbing marketable and you know i would argue that the 
if you take that to extremists, you get Brewdog, where everything is hyped. Nothing is done quietly. Everything is done loudly. Mm. But you, you can't... I, I think we've seen the hype arms race, and it's, it's very, very hard now to get attention um, in, a, in, a, in a healthy, sustainable way, um, the, the way that Sam did very, very well. Mm. And like to your point, uh, uh, Sam's beers or you know, Dogfish Head beers have a reason for being. Mm. So like that, that's a lesson that's really important to me is when I run a, I'll try my best to run a collaboration or organize a collaboration brew or put a beer in a big can and like I've got to have a reason that someone would pick it up, turn around and read the label on the back and it can't just be like, these are some fun colors on a can. Um, I'm not really like the brewer can do a great job. Our graphic designer can do a great job and they can go home and know that they've done their job. But I haven't, I don't think I've done my job. If it's just, if it's just that it's, we've got to have a, a reason for being for the, yeah. if they're going to be, and, especially and, if they're going to be plus 6%. Absolutely, and I very much take your point about giving advice, unless you can be accountable for it, and uh, you know all of those sorts of things. And there is so much of that. The, the, the only advice I ever give people, um, you know, I, I make observations about things that I've seen that are similar to what they're talking about, and 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 uh, you know the, the the differences, because I think there is a whole lot of looking across lanes in in this business, not trying to work out. Um, you know, looking at what other people are doing and emulating mm. what they're doing without understanding the reasons and the capabilities and the potential consequences of, of that thing. So, you know, seeing someone else do a 440 mil can, seeing it do okay and just doing it yourself, not asking, well, how does this apply to my business? How does it apply to my brand? How does this apply to my customers? Um, and, and bringing that back to your own business as opposed mm. to just emulating the thing itself. Mm. Yeah. I mean, yeah, just sort of it, like this, this week we've got um, Abby Calabi 13 we're brewing at the end of the week. And that's, I think, the longest running collaboration in Australian craft beer. It's not the first. There's a beer much earlier than that um, uh, in New South Wales, but continuously running. And it's Mountain Goat, Moondog, and originally CUB, but um, Matilda Bay uh, was, the, you know, the hand that was put forward or the brand that was put forward. And we're really lucky to be involving Rodrigi, um, Rodrigi Brewing to join the collaboration now. Yep. Like just, you know, bit of poetry here. When we started Good Beer Week, the idea was uh, from one of the co-founders of Good Beer Week, uh, Barney Matthews, and he's reached out to Mountain Goat, the, you know, let's say the uh, the founding sort of craft brewery of our, where we were at the time. Like that was the, that was the leading the way the guy, the mountain goat guys were like a beacon for everyone and Moondog had just started. And this was like the, the, in the same sort of neighborhood and all in the shadow of CUB. And one thing we didn't want to do with good beer week was get involved with, you know, um, this evangelism that we talked about at the beginning of our chat 
we wanted to show everyone how amazing the industry was and how amazing beer could be and how it brings people together. So the idea of getting a, the smallest, the largest of the indies and then the biggest, because we're all in the same neighborhood, get all three breweries together to make a collaboration that raises money for the Collingwood Children's Farm was like, that's let's get everyone together. That beer has a reason for being. And that was, that's been a part of Good Beer Week and we're having our 13th brew this year. And, and Budrigi's now on board because they're an amazing brewery in Abbotsford. And, of course, they should be, you know, I'm like at heart in mouth when I was reaching out saying, hey, could you, because I don't want that to go wrong. And now we have four breweries in that location getting together for a long-running run, collaboration. For me, I hope everyone that pulls that tap back can tell a really interesting piece of trivia to the person that come to the bar that they found the reason, like, you know, they found this is the right beer for that person and they can say something that lets the person walking away from the bar with their red lager, whatever it is that we're doing uh, 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 for, um, uh, we're recognising um, Neil Whittle and Pops in this brew, that, that there's a bit of story in there that has a feeling for whoever walks away with that pint because every one of us it'll have a feeling for, you know. And so, I don't know, like, that's, where that fits in, in in our little dialogue so far about you know bringing everything in to you know every part of the stew matters like that that's still a really true thing. Man, I'm I'm just very conscious of time because you've got a heart out and uh, we haven't even touched on the main reason or the the, the thing that first sparked us. I just went looking for it. Um, so it was it was some time ago we were talking about innovation and coopers and uh, our very different definitions of it. But I think what we might do is park that and even maybe during uh, Good Beer Week uh, when I'm in Melbourne, see if we can uh, find time for a beer. Um, and because and, we will certainly go past your heart out once we start talking about that. But what, what I will ask is, you know, in my description of you as Australia's great beer pragmatist um you know one of the 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 the, the great ambassadors for beer um but from that position of uh pragmatism where do you see craft beer in australia or beer generally if uh if we can open the lens that wide in 2023 how would you describe the australian beer industry in 2023 oh man um Compared to you know, the, the, you know maybe two thousand and five, those uh, where when you first started. I mean, this week we're brewing two beers for friends that have passed. Hmm. Right. I got. Uh, we're making a beer for Wags who passed away this time last year, and and one for Neil Whitorn. I think that every week, the last few months, I've heard bad news about another brewery, someone I look up to. Um. I see my heroes. There's a lot of heroes of mine that are having a hard time right now. So, you know, craft beer or like a lot of Australians are having, you know, a tough time right now. But I think that that something I believe in in craft is there's a having a crack attitude and a diehard kind of thing about people that start breweries or that work in breweries. And there's a lot of belief and passion. I think that there's no other year like it, but every year in craft beer seems to be that there's no other year like it. And I, I can't, I'm still trying to figure out what's actually happening out there myself. 
and I really hope that every brewery that is out there right now is going to have a you know a, is going to pull through and have a you know solid year. But it's it's really hard to comment on that. Hmm. Hmm. It's uh, well, yeah. Um, I I I think we're past that eternal optimism phase of of craft beer. It was an industry that started with passion, um, you know, saying we're going to change the world, um, change the, the the beer world. But and, and there was a lot of enthusiasm. You know, people were, as with all revolutions, we were revolting against something that went before, pushing. You know, you need something to push off from something. You, you, we weren't sailing somewhere. We were pushing away from something that went before. You know, we were rebelling against rather than as much as we were moving towards something different. Um, and, but that also, so we, we saw, you know, an area that was growing, you know, a sector that was growing just of itself. Um, but then that overlaid against, you know, a period of historically unique economic conditions of, you know, almost zero inflation, free money in the economy um, that, that that financed a lot of businesses. And, you know, COVID has really reset that in so many ways, you know, and, and in, in a lot of times, well, COVID, the, the, the COVID period, um, breweries that were keg dependent, which was very few craft breweries, were hit very, very hard because pubs closed. But breweries that were package dependent, saw a very rarefied position where suddenly most of the consumption switched to that sort of package and there was suddenly new demand for their product. Um, the economy was awash with government handouts for employ you know, for, for subsidies and staff and business sustenance. Um, and I, I think that was a, a sugar hit that at a time when people thought the, the world was going to go to hell, Hold on, things are actually doing really, really well for us. And in in the post-COVID wash-up, we're actually seeing a much more traditional economic climate come in at the same time that a lot of those benefits have washed out. And it's a really, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it, it's that's far too simplistic an analysis. But I think, um, I, 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 I think we're going to be in for a tumultuous period, you know, for for, for the, the the next foreseeable, you know not six months or whatever we we have no idea what's going to come yeah i think that yeah i mean i can't add much to that that's that's what we're all dealing with right now mm. as in like you know I, I don't own a brewery right like i have no risk i have so much respect for the people who have started breweries that put their whole house or their life on like creating uh this impetus that comes from setting up a brewery and, and many breweries in a whole industry. I'm, I'm, I work in sales and marketing. I have, I'm, I've got a resume. I can get employed, you know, like I'm just day to day. I want to make sure that people find lovely beers that make them excited about, you know, talking to their friends about it or excited to see what's happening in their glass, you know? And I think that we, as an industry, we still have a lot to offer. And I think that there's, uh, the way we connect with local businesses, the way we collect with connect with local suppliers and ingredients, all of the things that make craft beer so amazing are also all of the tools for winning. 
and, and winning in hard times. And we're also used to not working with big budgets as an industry. Mm. So like, you know, we, we're like, you know, like the same way sourdough or in a, in a recession, the, uh, the idea of the lipstick budget, like, well, back to my first comment about two more dollars for your favorite pint is a bargain. The craft beer has, is built to make that six pack feel like a treat. Mm. And we, that's what we do as an industry. An affordable luxury. 100%. If you're not going away or you're not going to like doing the things that you wanted to do, but like you've got your favorite beer or you've got an interesting journey. That's what the big can means for me at the end of a week is like, I've picked up a big can at the bottle shop, like, you know, around the corner from my house and it's a little treat for me. And it was a $14 flavor journey. That's a real treat. And it's all mine. And, and as a whole industry, we can still make so many people happy like that with a tall can or a fun four pack. We can all, every 700 breweries can do that for so many Australians next week. And that's why I think you're one of Australia's great beer ambassadors, not <laughs> not for a beer, but for all beer. So Miro, thank you very much for this conversation. We're definitely going to have to do this, pick this up uh, very shortly, but uh, you know, thank you very much for being so generous with your thoughts. Matt, I think a lot of people wouldn't give me a microphone because of exactly that, because of how generous I am with my thoughts uh, <laughs> and how long I take to get them out. Thank you so much, Matt. It's been Well, you've, you've come to the right place. Thank you. And that was Miro Bellini. If you like this conversation and would like to make sure that we can continue to deliver conversations just like this one, you can help us out. If you're a business that wants to reach professional brewers and brewery owners, we are the place to do that because they listen to us and they can listen to you as well. We have the conversations that the industry listens to. Shoot through an email to sam at brewsnews.com.au to find out how you can advertise. If you're a listener, you can sponsor the show as well. There's a link in the show notes. You can review us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting service, or you can email us at producer at brewsnews.com.au to share your thoughts. We'll be back this Friday with Brews News Week, diving deeply into the news of the week. Thank you.